Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. And probably the biggest and most powerful one was my third uh, pillar, and that was doing live events and workshops in that space. And that led to my biggest clients. That's how I got my first Fortune 500 client is we were doing trainings and education around the ADA and that specialty and that niche. And lo and behold, Yum Brands sent two of their people to our very first training because there wasn't any training around in that. So everybody was looking for it. It was an underserved uh, niche. And uh, a year and a half later, I had a huge contract with Yum Brands and that led to Target and JCPenney's and so on and so forth. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. My guest today is Paul Klein. Paul, welcome to the show. How you doing, Geraldine? Good to be here. It's good to see you again. Yeah. So before we jump in, can you give people a quick background on your business and what you're up to? <laughs> sure. My name's Paul Klein, and I'm a, a serial entrepreneur, and I used to be a uh, entrepreneur stuck in a bureaucracy. And... Uh, I made the jump into this whole social distancing and working from home and living off of Zoom, making a living off of Zoom in 2009. <laughs> so former hairband guitarist from the 80s and long hair, and um, now I'm a business consultant and uh, part owner in a SaaS company, which I'm sure we'll talk about, and a new product that I just launched, a new streaming service for entrepreneurs called Visible TV, and love the whole solopreneur, freelance, uh, getting paid for knowledge work environment, so... Glad to be here. Excellent. Great. And can you also tell listeners a bit about your experience in the architecture design build space? Because that's the piece that we're really going to dig into today. Yeah, because much like CPAs, my background is in architecture, design, regulatory uh, functions, specifically the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is a federal uh, law and has standards for building construction and so forth. So I did that for 18 years, all the way up until I was 40. And that's when I realized I was a entrepreneur stuck in a bureaucracy and worked for local government and some some uh, corporate firms and thing, all all related to the whole regulatory space. Much like CPAs, you know, very structured and and formal. <laughs> and uh, but I soon realized this that wasn't for me. And that was in uh, that was in 2009. So in the heat of the recession, I. I decided to go out on my own and uh, carve my own path, and I took uh, and niched down, which we can talk about. And I took one area of that and really niched down and became a specialist in that area. 
much like a CPA could do, instead of being a generalist, be a specialist. Um, and that's where I really thrived um, and became uh, much more successful than I ever was in a day job. And so for listeners, just for just so it's super clear for them, is your background specifically in architecture? Is it in design? Is it engineering? What was your title? How would you have identified yourself? I've never been formally trained and I don't have a degree. <laughs> so so I used, I used to be ashamed of that. So uh, I started working construction right out of high school. I had long hair, was playing in a band, had to pay, you know, b- couldn't make a living playing in a band. So I was uh, working construction. And then uh, around when I met my wife, I, I decided to cut my hair and get serious. And I was, I was early 20s, you know, and, and I went back to junior college for some just code classes. And so I got into the codes and kind of regulatory space, which led me to becoming a basically like a, a building inspector, uh, much like you would see if you were doing an addition on your house or if Target is building a new Target. I worked on uh, over my years in career, I worked in that construction space. So being around that, I've I've dealt with engineers, architects, and everything, but I am not one, but I got to tell them what to do for many years. <laughs> Excellent. We're down with, you know, nobody needs to have multiple letters behind their names. They can if they want to. So you went out on your own in this space and talk to us about the the part of the work that you were doing and the opportunity you saw around the ADA. What was going on there? In 2009, I was 40 years old, and I was like, I, I dreaded my job. I, I, I was really struggling. You know, I probably was depressed a little bit. I thought, oh, man, is this the end? You know, three kids, perfect family, uh, working at home, real short commute, high six-figure uh, job, full benefits and everything, but it, it just was unfulfilled. And, and so I really started to look inwards, and my virtual mentor, who's actually a good friend of mine now and a mentor, Dan Miller, who wrote the book 48 Days of the Work You Love and No More Dreaded Mondays, really talked about how to look inside and find that blend of uh, what you're passionate about as well as fulfilling and not just doing what everybody else expects of you, which is what I had been doing for <laughs> forever. I was living someone else's career and um, mm. not really doing what I enjoyed. And so I looked inward and I, I thought, man, I really want to go into consulting and um, I'd like to go out on my own. And so I, I, I picked an area that was really underserved in the architectural space, and that was the Americans with Disabilities Act. Plus, there happened to be in California where, where I worked a very cottage industry. It's still there today, uh, what you'd call drive-by lawsuits, you know, people taking advantage of the law for monetary gain. So I saw an opportunity to help businesses and mom and pop shops, as well as corporate, avoid those lawsuits because I knew all the technical requirements from my career. So I was able to turn that knowledge and expertise from the previous 18 years, niche down and go help an underserved market. And then, you know, didn't take but a few years to really explode and really take off for me. This is where I want to dig in because what you built around this is really interesting. So talk to us about when a business is in a situation where perhaps say they're not in compliant with the ADA, they don't have accessible ramps and the spaces, the I presume parking lot spots that they need. Talk to us about how you began offering your service, what you offered, and how that morphed over time. Yeah. So, so much like a CPA, I, you know, offered uh, professional services. And so those were basically uh, facility audits or consultations. So go out to a mom and pop who just got a letter from an attorney saying their building's out of compliance. They're afraid they're going to get called into court. What do I need to do? 
And so I go out and meet with them. And then that morphed into doing a formal report, you know, uh, basically like a home inspection report. If you've ever done those, or if you have commercial property investments, you've probably seen due diligence reports and things like that. So very much in that line. And uh, started, I remember doing my first one, didn't know what I was doing, uh, you know, charged, I don't know, $3,500, uh, you know, didn't charge by the hour, you know, and uh, by the project and, you know, chewed through it. And back in pre-modern pre, uh, computer times with, um, you know, databases and things like that, and just kind of a word, hacked a Word document together. And then that just uh, slowly morphed into eventually what I would do, and that's, I know what you want to talk about with productized services. And that is, I was able to take that IP that we developed, my business partner and I in that consult, ADA consulting business. And uh, we took that IP and partnered with a uh, software company and created a uh, full productized service uh, app and web-based um, system that basically walks you through that whole process in that space. Great. So eventually you got all the way to building an app for it. Before you got to, but I'm imagining that there was some time and space before you went from 3,500 and a Word doc all the way to having an app that takes care of it. How did your thinking evolve? What did you see in the delivery of the service that made you think, oh, I wonder if there's a better, more efficient way to do this? What was the sort of seed that got you to build the next iteration of it. It was the hours sitting in front of the computer going, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> so, so started developing an access database to try to manage some of the, I mean, it's real repetitive work. You know, the outputs are the same, but the inputs just vary a little bit based on client. So much like a CPA, you know, your outputs are probably very similar. It's just the numbers and the situation changed, change. So looking, looking, okay, the uh, the inputs are, are variable based on client, but the outputs are relatively the you know the same report whatever it is um, IRS forms or whatever whatever it is, um, and so I did that and just kind of chewed you know over the f first few years chewed on on a access database and then uh, got into uh, FileMaker you know and got real good at FileMaker and really developed my own kind of just IP through that and that was the basis of what we took um, into the whole app and much larger space, which we can talk about. But before in during that time, when I was kind of looking at ways to streamline the IP and kind of my process, um, I also incorporated what I call the three pillars of revenue, because, you know, if I just totally tried to rely on the consulting work I was doing, I wouldn't have made it. And so I made a, you know, we made a really good decision early on to also include um, what I call the three pillars. So there's your, you know, your high level consulting, which was that site evaluation and consultations I was doing. And then we were also doing uh, eBooks. One of the things Dan Miller talks about is developing products and services that are called, you know, that are based on Swiss dollars, sales while I sleep. So you create something once and it pays you over and over, or, or sometimes it's called residual income or uh, passive income. So developing checklists and information downloads early days of the internet. So, you know, PayPal and all these weird links just to get them to get their PDF, but was able to sell some of those things online, you know, wouldn't have made a living just doing that, but that was another source of income with the consulting and probably the biggest and most powerful one was my third uh, pillar. And that was doing live events and workshops in that space and that led to my biggest clients. That's how I got my first Fortune 500 client is we were doing trainings and education around the ADA and that specialty and that niche. 
And lo and behold, Yum Brand sent two of their people to our tr- very first training because there wasn't any training around in that. So everybody was looking for it. It was an underserved uh, niche. And uh, a year and a half later, I had a huge contract with Yum Brands and that led to Target and JCPenney's and so on and so forth. So, so for listeners who aren't up to speed on Yum Brands, give us some of the brands that sit under that umbrella. Yeah, it's uh, KFC, Taco Bell, uh, Long John Silver's at the time, A&W. And they, Yum Brands was originally, I think, one of the Pepsi brothers or something. There's an acronym for this. It's like fast food, but it's also, there's another way of referring yeah, to it, right? Yeah, uh, QSR, Quick Serve Restaurant. QSR. Yeah, that's quick the, serve restaurant. in the industry, that's the preferred <laughs> term because fast food has a kind I of a see. negative connotation. Quick Serve Restaurant. Quick Serve Restaurants. Okay. And you can imagine, okay, so for listeners who are trying to get a picture of this, you, I think you can begin to imagine that if KFC is out of compliance with their accessibility, that the financial implications of that could be profound. So how much money are we talking about? Say more, a little bit more about how much money you're saving them potentially by avoiding a lawsuit by getting them in compliance. Yeah. I mean, for, for any of the brands, uh, you know, Yum Brands, Taco Bell, uh, other clients I've worked with in, in, in medical, there, there's a medical um, kind of like Kaiser, but not as big as Kaiser in, in Northern California. They had a $250 million um, 10 year lawsuit. And so those numbers are real, <laughs> you know, and they, and the, you know, once the, the advocates and the legal um, companies that fight that, especially with the bigger and larger organizations, it can be re- hugely cost, you know, cost, costly for them. And so when you, and this gets into, I'm sure you've talked about this, Geraldine, value-based pricing, you know, when you mm-hmm. par- parse your service against that type of a lawsuit, you know, it's usually the revenue gains that you're helping them with or revenue savings <laughs> or reductions. And so I'm in the space of reducing, you know, expenditures, which results in revenue. And so, you know, you look at a, you look at the fees that we would charge in relation to the potential lawsuits. And so I've positioned myself with my pricing over the years in that. So I'll use that as, as a spiel and negotiations. And, and it's pretty easy, you know, it's, it's a, what is it? The pound of cure is worth a two pounds of whatever. An ounce of prevention. Yeah. Or yeah. <laughs> whatever yes. the saying is, it's exactly that. Yep. And, uh, and so that's one of the ways I was able to, um, you know, really raise my rates. Like I say, you know, you know, I think the the very first couple jobs, you know, I think that one was 35, but then I went down to like 800 and, you know, and then I had to work my way back up because I felt like an imposter, you know, and so it uh-huh. took a while to get back up. And then, but then you times that by multiple uh, sites, you know, two or 3000 sites nationwide, and it can get pretty exciting pretty quick. And would you offer those folks just the high level consulting or would you also do the implementation work? How did that roll? Yeah, typically no, um, mainly just the consulting, just the identification. One of the things my business partner and I did, we two things is we never wanted to have employees or a huge team. We had managed employees for years. So one of our business rules was no debt and no employees. <laughs> so we only played with house money, never borrowed a do- dollar to start the company. And that's how we've done all our companies like that. And so for that reason, we never wanted to get, you know, big and, and, and go into that direction. And so, so we, and then we also felt like it would be a conflict of interest in our space 
we just wanted to have that separation. There are other consultants that will do the, you know, identification of issues and then implementation. In a lot of spaces, that's totally acceptable. But in this space, due to the litigation and kind of like CPAs, you know, you kind you have that what is it, fiduciary obligation to to represent your clients. Fiduciary, yeah. Fiduciary. yeah. <laughs> it tells you how I'm not a CPA, so my my apologies for botching. Neither it. am I. We're good. <laughs> but. Um, but you know, it's it's that kind of thing where um, you know you identify. But we would we purposely would not do that just because we wanted to. We would refer to other people. Uh, we would help them through the process and guide them. But we were we really maintain the expert space, um, you know, in that and um, consultation space, and not we didn't okay. want to be viewed as an implementer, you know, or a doer. And why not? I think you know, in hindsight, I look. It sounds brilliant, but in at the time, we just didn't <laughs> want to deal with it. <laughs> you know, it's like right. we just wanted to. You know, we wanted to. We did one thing. We did it really well, and it's it was part of that niching down. It just kind of happened, you know, by accident, I guess. I mean, it was there was some intentionality, but not for the strategic business uh, guru that that you might claim. Uh, it, it was just one of those things that happened by accident because we just didn't want to do that. And so, but it turned out to be better because it positioned us for as a much more as a, as an expert, they didn't look at us as an implementer. They looked at us as a, as a, tell us what's wrong, tell us what to do, and then we'll go do it. And how do you think that impacted your fees to maintain your position in their eyes as an expert and not as a doer? Oh, it, it went skyrocketed. Yeah, it, it really did. You know, because you, you really took us out of the commodity space to that expert space, you know, so we were, we were not viewed as a, as a commodity. And, and that was one of our lines. We, my business partner and I would say, well, you know, we're not the uh, least expensive firm. You know, we set them up We're you're going to get a fee that you're not going to like. And then, and we had a lot of people that were price shoppers and that's okay. You know, go, go find someone that's going to do it for a third of the price. And then we'd have other ones that go, I don't care what it costs. I want you guys, you guys are the best. And so your price <laughs> kind of goes back to the, my old podcast that I stole from Blair ends. I'm sure you know who Blair ends is. And, um, my old podcast was called pricing is positioning. And that's where I got, you know, I got, I solidified it from, uh, from Blair's book, but, uh, but I was doing that for many years is, uh, is, uh, is by having those higher rates, it really positioned us as a premier consultant in that space. And for listeners who aren't familiar with Blair Ends, he comes from the creative agency digital marketing kind of space and wrote a book, Pricing Creativity, which is excellent. And his thing is Win Without Pitching. And he has a podcast with David C. Baker, who is going to come on the podcast, entitled The Two Bobs. Yes. So for folks who want to, we'll throw those in the show notes. Okay. So you have yourself positioned as an expert. You warn your clients in air quotes up front that you're not going to be the cheapest guy in town. And yet people say, we want you, you're the experts. So how long did you do that for before you thought to yourself, okay, there's got to be a better way to do this part. And then you brought your game up to the next level. What do you mean by the next level? Because I'm still doing that to this day. It's it's an ongoing, you know, success is sequential, not instantaneous. So, yes. so I'm still on that path. So it's hard for me to answer that. Okay, so are you still doing consulting for the ADA for Yum Brands and other ones like it? Is that still okay? Yeah, it's still, still uh, one of my one of the businesses I'm still involved in. And is that a service that you have productized? Not exactly, <laughs> and I don't think you know. It, it, there's different de- variations in in you know productized services. So, so the spinoff from that consulting business was our SaaS product, which 
most certainly is a productized service. And so that's a separate company. It's called Blue Dag. You can go to bluedag.com and learn all about it. It's not, won't be exciting for most people, but it's all in that ADA space. So that is our, that's my productized service. So, but in my, and in my consulting business, because I developed that software and part owner in that company, we use that software in my other business. So I guess, I guess through the process, we, I started to productize using an access database, streamlining Excel spreadsheets and the old data inputs into repetitive, speeding up repetitive processes, eventually developing a file maker. That FileMaker database was what my um, development team was able to take and develop into the app and just make it like to the next level. And so we use that pro- uh, product. And then I have a team of people that travel for me, so I don't have to anymore. <laughs> so I do more high level, you know, consulting and so forth. And then I have people um, that work for me on the West and East Coast here that will travel out into the, to the sites and so forth. So so it's still, and I guess for my key services there, it's still, um, you know, you got to go out and do a, doing an evaluation, but we have other products that we've developed. We have an online training course. We have, um, digital products, you know, product, it's not, I wouldn't call them productized services, but they're productized products, I guess, you Mm -hmm. know, that people can buy, which is another, you know, source of income for us. So you still do the high level consulting. The productized service, if you will, that you built is a basically a software product, an app, and you use the app in the high-level consulting service. And then in the middle, you still have, as your sort of middle tier, you have digital info products, if you will, training. And then at the lower level, if we're doing a kind of top-to-bottom price-wise product ladder, at the lower price point, you have the eBooks, the checklist that include checklists and other things that are Okay, that are in the more like double digits, I'm assuming. Yeah, let's see. Our 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 lowest I think our lowest online course is $50 and then we have like a professional package which is like 3.99. And then we have a 4-day training we do twice a year which is $2,000. And we usually get about 50 people to that each time. And we were doing them in live, but now we're doing them all all on Zoom. So no hotel expenses, <laughs> which is great. Got it. Yes, and no time away from home if not desired. And then can you talk about to the extent you're comfortable is the consulting five figures, six figures? How how high does that go? Yeah, I've never broken the seven figure mark. So I've had really good I, I, I usually stay around the, the, the fives to sixes and I've had some, um, some uh, sevens and high eights, but I've never been able to, in that one business, be able to get into. And that's, and I think that's, this is probably a good lesson for your listeners. And, and the reason why I wasn't able to do that in that business, because we, we made a decision not to bring in teams or employees. So it purposely put a cap, but when you have a low overhead, high margin, no office space, no, you know, no employees, mm-hmm. no 401k plans. I mean, you know, it was just my business partner, the two of us. So high profit, low margin, even though we didn't break the seven figure mark in that business, it was very profitable for us too, you know, because it, it just, you know, and when we, you know, we were making 100, 150 grand in our city jobs, you know, 15 years ago. So to go from that to that is a, is a huge jump. Now, when you mix in the- okay, Hold on. I just want to, I want to pause you just for a second because I might've misheard you because I think you said you would never broke the seven figure mark, but then you said something about seven and eight figure. So oh, I'm sorry. 700,000 to 800,000. I had a couple of gotcha, years where I was, I'm, but I'm lower. I'm 
usually in the five to six range now. Okay. For the high level consulting. Okay. Thanks. I just wanted to clarify because I wasn't sure I'd heard you correctly. So you were, but I cut you off. So you're going to say. Yeah, no, that's just the one, the, the, the consulting business that I started in 09 yep. that I still work today. Then in the SaaS company, we do about 1.2 million a year and we're trying to grow that to 2 million uh, for investors and buyouts. <laughs> and so when we first started, we did, we launched that in 2016. So in 09, we launched the consulting business, developed my process, IP, partnered with a tech company to create this company called Blue Dag in 15, launched it in 16, and it did, I don't know, $30,000 the first year, then 80 or 100. And it, it continues to grow. COVID set us back. Um, so it's, um, but it, it does about one, 1. 1.2. And then, um, and then my other business is, is the business coaching and consulting that I do around visible TV and pricing and stuff. And that's just, uh, that doesn't, doesn't make a dent compared to those other two. <laughs> so yet. So it's just, and I just yes. launched that just in January. Yeah. It's nascent. It's, it's brand new. Yeah. 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 Give it time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's- the, no need to go to a hundred million in less than a year. Yeah. Unless you're slack. And the nice thing is with okay. the SaaS company is it's all, we have our own team of CFO. It's a formal like business with a full team. So I'm, I'm just one fifth owner in that. And so I'm, uh, I'm not, uh, I don't have to do all the day to day and all that stuff. Sometimes I should warn guests that I like to pump them for numbers to make this stuff real. Cause otherwise, right. We just talk about like these things in, in globalized terms and we have no idea idea what big actually means. So in particular with the expertise strategy, high level consulting, and with a productized service, can you talk about your margins there? I should know that. <laughs> um, I, I guess because I have, we have such a focus on um, low overhead. I mean, we don't have cars, we don't have, you know, buildings. So really every, and you know, and, and I mean, when we did live events, we had to rent hotels, you know, which was a fraction of the revenue we were taking in. So I, I, I should know what it is, but I don't, I mean, because it's all, it's all expertise based. There's not, I mean, I guess to the, you know, if we, if we go out and do, you know, let's say we do 10 sites for a, a quick serve restaurant or something like that in Indianapolis space, and we're charging $2,000 a site times 10, that would be, what is that? $20,000. And we'll have hotel, travel, rental car, food, you know, for my team might be anywhere from $2,500 to $5,500. So what would that be? What would my margin be? Yeah, so 75% ballpark. If you're, let's do cost of five out of 20. So that's probably about, that's probably about right um, on average. That, and now that's on a, a, a product that I actually have to physically go out and physically go to a location and actually spend money. Whereas with the okay. training and the online courses was no over. I mean, we, yep. you know, we pay, we pay for our uh, online platform, you know, $99 a month or thousand bucks a year or something, but it's a fraction compared to what we take in on revenue. And if you were to do a project that's in the seven or 800 thousands, what are your costs ballpark on that? Like a hundred thousand, 50,000, 5,000. We've done a few, uh, you know, two and $300,000 jobs. So the most recent one I did was right after COVID. It was probably, I think it was 130 or 150,000. And I think our, I think our all in costs on that with bringing my team out there and we were out there for a couple of weeks was 20 or 30,000 maybe. Okay. So 20 out of 130 listeners can do the math. Yeah. So the rest of it was good margins. Yeah. The rest of it was, was awesome. (laughs) and got me through COVID because everything was shut down. 
So that con- and that uh, that was was weird. I was trying to get that con- contract for like two years. It was a long tail. Six figure contracts long, sometimes take a long time. And so um, I was complaining, why isn't this happening? Why isn't this happening? And then COVID hit, and I'd forgot about it. And then finally they said, you know what? With COVID being uh, and everything shut down, it's a great time for you to come out now because nobody's around. <laughs> and so so it was like it was a blessing, and um, and it worked out really well. Let's come back to the three pillars of revenue. Because I think for a lot of CPAs, certainly the industry kind of trains in the direction of you have your hourly billing and maybe you bill, I'm just making up numbers here, maybe you bill 110 for this service, 175 for this other thing that you do, and 225 for this other thing you do. But it's not the same as having different revenue streams for different products. So can you talk about how having three pillars of revenue in your business, what that did for your business and what that did for you, like in your life? Yeah, the big thing it did is it, is it, is it allowed to write out those highs and lows of the consulting business or the, you know, the high level, the high level, um, you know, because, you know, Geraldine, you've been doing this long enough too. Like it'll, it'll, it's feast or famine, you know, you get, you know, right, right. I don't know if it's like this in your industry, but right before Christmas about, middle of uh, November, people start thinking about the holidays. They're not dealing with contracts. Now, some projects they want to finish for the end of the year, but for the most part, it's dead from, especially from about December 15th to January 15th. And then the light, and then for me, it's like, oh, new year. And then stuff just starts coming in again. And so being able to ride out those highs and lows and have enough uh, runway in your revenue, um, because what we'll do is we'll, we'll, you know, our revenue might be really high in our business, but we just take a monthly, you know, paycheck out of it mm-hmm. and then pay out dividends at quarter and stuff. But, but to be able to set that up properly, you got to have those, those, um, different revenue streams, at least three, you know, and, and three is real easy to understand and basic. And so high level co- coaching and consulting, and then for a CPA, you know, have those e-products and those online courses. And, and if you're niching down to, I'm a CPA for dentists, then have all your content directed, you know, just for dentists and have a checklist for dentists and, and really niche uh, to them and have those types of e-products. And then if you don't charge, start charging for workshops or some kind of info uh, training uh, deal, just do at least start out at go to the local chamber of commerce or whatever, and just start talking to those people until you're comfortable with doing a formal workshop. And then you can start monetizing that. And I, and I love workshops because, you know, workshops, people go to conferences and seminars and they get rah-rah and hear a lot of uh, foo-foo, woo-woo stuff. But workshops, you can really, you know, make them smaller and charge more. So instead of having 400 people at a conference where they get to hear a bunch of speakers, do 20, you know, 10 to 20 people in a, in a really intimate workshop and really help them move the ball in their business or whatever. And, uh, and you can charge a premium for that. And, um, and that's another great revenue. And if you can do something that's repl- replicatable, um, like we did, we would do it up to three times a year and, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, three times a year works out pretty good. So ebook at the bottom or simple info product that's digital PDF format, purchase from your website as a sort of base level for people who are new to you and then kind of workshop level. This is for you anyways. There are obviously multiple ways to skin this cat, but workshop level at the sort of mid-level four figures. And then if you want Paul and his brain on your business, it's five figures, if not six. And that's your, that's like the three legs, the three pillars that really stabilize, it sounds like, your business. What did it do for your life? What was the sort of day-to-day? How did the day-to-day experience of your life change? 
Oh man, it's 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 been so great just um, being able to work for yourself, work with who you want, with when you want, where you want. You know, I remember being in Hawaii on our twentieth, twenty uh, or twenty fifth. I should know this <laughs> anniversary, and you know, I was just thinking. You know, I had all five of us were there, my three kids, and wrote a special letter to them, and and I was able, my business was able to continue to run. If I was still working for someone else, I would have had to request the time off, and yeah, I made it, might have got it off, but but I don't know. It's just. Just being able to just have the freedom, you know, the uh, financial freedom, the time freedom. And as Alan Weiss says, the true uh, definition of wealth is discretionary time. And so when you can shift from the dreaded hourly and billable hours to where you just, you know, which immediately puts a cap on your um, earnings uh, into to more uh, value or um, project based, you're, the whole opens up a whole new world. I mean, if, even if you're charging a thousand dollars an hour, okay, eight hour day, that's eight thousand bucks. I've been on retainer for eighteen grand a day, and so you, you know it's a, it's a different mindset. And and if you're working with those types of clients, um, it's you know, it, you know, sometimes it takes a little time to to work up to that. I certainly didn't start there, um, but you uh, you start moving in that direction, and before you know it, you look back and it's like me. It's been twelve years. And I go, man, <laughs> you know. What? It's been great, and uh, and it's just, uh, you know, it's just a great place to be for 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 professional service people. I love that. That is so great. So before we wrap up here, now that you've gotten to this place twelve years later, as a serial entrepreneur, you have new things, of course, that you're incubating. So before we wrap up, give listeners a sense of what you've got cooking. Yeah. So as you can tell, probably I'm pretty enthusiastic about the whole entrepreneur business space. <laughs> so, so, uh, uh, I, w- we recently launched a whole new streaming service called visible TV and think of it as the Netflix for entrepreneurs. And Geraldine will hopefully be coming a guest on there. And we profile people like, uh, Ger- Geraldine and myself and, and just people who are in this, um, what do you call it? The 68 million of us that are freelancers, coaches, consultants, professional service, expertise, workers, nothing against Elon Musk or Oprah Winfrey or uh, who's the other guy, um, the guy that owns the Mavericks on the Shark Tank. You're talking about you know. <laughs> oh, Mark Cuban. Yeah, Mark Cuban or anybody on Shark Tank. All great people, but but this streaming network is for the 68 million of us that are just like you know Geraldine and I, and we profile them uh, and their story. And some of these people may only be a few steps ahead of you if you're an aspiring, you know, entrepreneur or business owner going out on your own or leaving corporate. And you can watch these stories and they're little short 10 minute, 15 minute um, docu-series. And uh, my business partner, um, Kendall Johnson, who's uh, the art behind this, I'm the business, he's the art. Uh, He was formerly trained with Hans Zimmer, who did uh, Gladiator and um, Avengers, and he's done Netflix quality uh, documentaries before. And so this is a very cinematic, it's not just a YouTube video or someone with a phone. I mean, we, we put a lot of, it's a, there's very much an art form behind it. And so it's a, it's a paid streaming service. And then we're also adding what we call visible TVU, where we're going to be having, um, uh, weekly teachings, actual, you know, straight up strategy sessions for aspiring business owners and entrepreneurs. And then we're also going to be launching a five panel, um, live show quarterly here in Nashville is, which is where we're based and where we bring in, you know, f- uh, five people on a panel and just, just talk business, you know, business shop talk, I guess. We haven't come up with a name yet, but it'll be a live show on the uh, streaming network as well. So we're, we're providing tons of value and we're super excited about it. And we want to be the premier streaming service in this space for aspiring entrepreneurs like us. 
I love it. So out of productized service and into subscription model. Excellent. Paul, if people want to find you, where can they do that? I think the, probably this crowd would love to be on what I call the visible TV letter. So I do a, I do a curated letter of the best business strategies and things that I find every week. Uh, Jonathan Stark stuff uh, shows up on there mm-hmm. who I know, you know, Geraldine and, and uh, so I, I pull pricing stuff, marketing, and I just pull the cream of the crop and then, um, and then I, and then uh, put that out. So go to paulkline.net and right on the homepage there at paulkline.net, you can, learn a, bit, a little bit about me and sign up for the newsletter. And of course you can go to visible tv.com and um, sign up for the streaming service right now. And uh, there's uh, a lot of great content on there for you too. So paulkline.net or visible tv.com. Excellent. We'll link to those in the show notes. And if people want to reach out to you directly, how can they do that? Uh, my easiest, my email, just uh, paul at paulkline.net. It's K-L-E-I-N like Calvin Klein. <laughs> so Paul. Got it. Paul at paulkline.net and maybe if you, you feel free to put those in the show notes and just go down there and click on there and and I we have a podcast too it's called the Visible TV podcast um, so if you're on the on the uh, podcast devices go down there and subscribe to that and we got some great content there for you and you go back to the, some old uh, le- um, lessons I've got um, Jonathan Stark on there David C Baker uh, Ron Baker. Um, Blair ends a lot of pricing and strategy stuff right up uh, probably your listeners alley as well. Some great episodes there. Excellent. We love it. We'll link to that stuff in the show notes and they can go and check it out. Paul Klein, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Thanks for having me, Geraldine. It's an honor to be here and uh, have a great rest of your day and week. That was an illuminating journey from Paul on spotting an underserved market with an expensive problem, positioning himself as an expert and putting that expertise into different sized boxes with three, four, and five figure price tags. If you're ready to be more expert and less general so that you can get your life back while still making great money, head on over to my website to subscribe to my daily drip of business strategy for CPAs. You'll get one easily digestible tip a day on how to position your business, how to price your services, and how to sell outcomes so that you can get off the tax hamster wheel for once and for all. That URL again is shethinksbigcoaching.com. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to geraldinecarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.